following is a conversation with Ronan, an upbeat, positive father of a few teenagers who shared a lot of wisdom and perspective about marriage and fatherhood. We talked a bunch about how men in our community need to talk more, share more, and lean on each other for support about how we are all going through something, regardless of how it looks on the outside. Ronan's story is one of the more hopeful ones so far. Although his divorce was not particularly amicable, he has managed to reach a place where his former wife and him can be cordial, where the kids can thrive, and where everyone has largely been able to move on with their lives. It was a real pleasure speaking to Ronan, and without further ado, here's the episode. You're listening to the Let's Get Serious podcast, the relationship podcast for from men, single, married, separated, divorced. There's something here for the whole Hevra. Here's your host, Nathan Gettysburg. Okay, welcome back to another episode of the Let's Get Serious podcast. And I'm really happy today to have on with me Ronan, uh, my friend Ronan, a resident of lives in the New York general area in a pretty sizable Jewish community, high 40s, low 50s-ish, few kids. Um, I'll, I'll let you give more of the background, uh, Ronan, but uh, welcome to the show. And thanks so much for coming on and, uh, you know, giving your story. And your perspective. Well, thank you, thank you so much for uh, for both hosting this podcast, which I was telling you offline. I think is a is a great is a great idea and a great thing to do for the you know the community of people out there who are interested in this or in this parsha or who are adjacent to this parsha. And also, thank you for having me on. It's a it's a pleasure and a privilege. I really appreciate it. I appreciate that too. Thanks so much. So uh, let's just chat a little bit about your general background, you and your your former wife, and then, you know, we'll try to get your perspective on marriage and, and life and things you've learned and things you've picked up along the way. So where do you come from? You know, obviously on the show, we don't always go into too personal details, but like, you know, generally what kind of background were you Hasidish? Were you reform? Yeah, go for it. So, uh, so growing up, I was, you know, I was not observant. I was, you know, fairly observant for the non-observant world, uh, you know, like very from conservative, so to speak. But mm-hmm. uh, I, I, I'm a I My yeshiva was, you know, black hat Haredi. And that's still sort of how I identify. My ex-wife was also growing up. She was, I think, I mean, she was less observant when she was not religious. And she also went to a Chosebetshuva yeshiva and not 100% as starkly uh, Haredi identified, but that's basically where she was, where she was holding at the, at the time that we met and got married. Um, we were married for quite a while. We were married for 20 years and we have uh, three kids who are wonderful and of different ages. I think I might you know, hold back mm-hmm. on specifically discussing the kids, mm-hmm. but we have three kids and they're you know, wonderful and they're a great thing to come out of a difficult marriage. The marriage itself, Mm-hmm. You know, we got married 20 years ago. Uh, I would say, I would say that fractures started appearing very early on. A lot of early in the marriage, or a early lot in of, dating. Or no, not strangely, not early in dating. Early in the marriage, I actually have a um, not a theory about this. Um, yeah. One of the not in dating so much, uh, but in in the marriage, I think that there are some important points actually that come out of that. One is something you always hear about especially if you come from a non-religious world, 
and then you go into the religious dating scene. Um, one, one thing I'll share about, because one of the complaints or one of the arguments that is made is that, you know, how can you really know someone by dating them so short a period of time? You know, my family gave me a lot of that. Um, mm-hmm. And the, the answer is that something, it doesn't matter how long you date someone, it really doesn't because there's something, a switch flips when you get married because now suddenly there's a much greater level of commitment and you're both looking at something that at least when you start it, it it's supposed to be forever. And there's no matter how serious you date, no matter how serious you are when you're dating, no matter how serious you are when you're with someone, even in a long-term relationship in a non-religious situation, it's not the same. And so all, all of that is basically a way of saying that during the dating, I think probably the differences between us and the problems that ended up becoming too much for the marriage could have been seen. I don't think they could have been seen by me. I think the problem is one of the problems and one of the important things that I definitely tell my kids and that I tell anyone who's willing to listen is that it's really, really worth it to have someone or more than one person involved in your dating who knows you very well and who you trust. And I mean, I had that, but I didn't have it as much as I should have. And the people, there were people in my life who were telling me, this is not a good shit. This is not right. And I wasn't listening to them. And Mm. I mean, it's a balancing act because, you know, no one is 100% going to be on board with no matter who you pick, but it it was still a a thing to pay attention to. Um, I probably should have, I mean, I might, I might just be, you know, biased because of how it came out, how the marriage came out, you know what I'm saying? But I think I should have listened to those people maybe a little bit more. Right. You touched on some some really interesting things in there. And I, I think that's like something like about, you know, how long the dating was. I mean, I'm basically seeing that there's not really any correlation when, you know, between the length of dating and, and the success of the marriage. Like it's, it doesn't it seems pretty weak, like people date two or three times and there's people who've dated six months or longer. And well, I mean, I'm, I don't want to interrupt you, but so I, sure. I, I guess I shouldn't. <laughs> but no, I think I think the. There's two. There, there's an important point that happens here, which is this: that you do have to date for some amount of time. Obviously, I don't think like one date or two dates is enough. That said, one of the stories I am fond, of, I was always fond of telling, was how I knew, you know, I knew right away. I knew from very early on, and a lot of times you hear about that. And I think you knew from very on, early on that that she was the why. one. Let me be clear. All right. So when we were dating, from very early on in the dating process, I was convinced that this girl was the one and I was all in. And that was actually part of the reason that I wasn't listening to the people who were telling me no, because I was all in and, Mm -hmm. and and, okay, fine. I admit that I might be, again, like I said before, biased because of how it turned out. But I think one of the things that's happening and it's, I think it's an important thing for people to know. And it's certainly a thing that came out during, you know, we went to many, many marriage therapists and I went to my own therapist in an attempt to sort of work this out before we got to the end. And one of the things that I learned, one of the things that I learned that probably, you know, Hazal knew was true all along and that other people knew, but I needed to learn it anyway, which is that each of us has in us, every man, everyone, but certainly every man has in them sort of a set of things or criteria that they may or may not even know about that if the woman hits those points, you're gonna be more connected and more likely. In other words, if you take two women who are on paper, the same, same yeshiva, same, you know, age, same 
same basic background, you know, similar looks, similar this, similar that, similar that. And a guy goes out with two of them. One of them, he's going to say, oh, this is the right, this is the girl for me. And one of them, he's going to say, okay, she's nice, but I'm not interested. That's just how it's going to be. There's, there's, there's a lot of women who on paper are the same. And yet we all end up marrying one of them and not the others. So mm-hmm. the, I think what happens is there's a thing inside of us that connects, that sees something else in that person and tries to connect with that thing. Now, if that thing inside of you is not well-examined and healthy, or at least, I think it, it's, here's, here's the thing. It's worth it for every one of us, every person who's dating, to sort of try to figure out themselves a little bit and what it is that they're responding to. One of the many therapies we went to was this, um, one of the many like couples therapies we tried was this thing called Imago therapy. Um, and what I'm is not, that? how is that called again? What, uh... Imago, I-M-A-G-O. Okay. I am not, I'm not endorsing it nor knocking it. I'm not saying either way if it's good or bad. It didn't work for us. There's a lot of reasons it didn't work for us. That may or may not be because it's value, but it's one of the basic ideas of it is this idea that we each have in us sort of a template of the things we're trying to address. And when we meet someone who we think can address those things, we connect to them. And I think that at least is a very valid, is a very valid sort of idea. I'm stating it in a slightly more par of way than maybe they, they state it when we went to the therapy, but that's, mm-hmm. that's a lot of what's going on. I think that's a very valid thing because, you know, I dated other girls who were similar in a lot of ways. I dated girls who honestly, you know, on paper would be a better match for me for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. And when I dated her, I was like, this is the one right away. I, I was right on it. So that's a long way of saying, yeah, we dated for probably three or four months before I proposed, but I was ready to propose really early on. Right. And then just getting back to what I said at the beginning, the, the fractures in the relationship showed up very early on in the marriage. But I think we mm-hmm. both, I will say, I, I'll put it on both of us, but I certainly can speak to myself. I was unwilling to sort of give up on it right away. I didn't want to be that guy. And that's partly because of a, being about Chuba. You know, you come from this place of saying like, oh, you know, the fry world, they just mm-hmm. give up on things right away. And this and, that. and this is, you know, and for, for not for nothing, this was and is, you know, your marriage is your family life and your marriage specifically is, is, the, is the most important thing you're going to do. At least that was the attitude I came in with. So I wasn't willing right. to just be like, oh, you know, this is a problem and I'm going to ditch it. And it, it took a long time for, for me to be willing to admit that there were things that needed to be worked out. And then it, you know, and then I, first I started going to therapy on my own and I am a big, big advocate of therapy. I believe that if not everybody, then a lot of people should be in therapy and it's worth it. Any, any and specific then, type? Like, I mean, when you say therapy, that can mean like so many things like what you're a big advocate of what part of it exactly. So, for me, and specifically for me, and uh, I was in a sort of regular talk therapy. He is a, um, the therapist was, there's a name for the type of therapy. I forgot. It's like, PC, not PCI, something. I'll remember. I can tell you later. Okay. Um, let me just think. I, I could think add it to the show notes if we, if we get it later. If anyone's listening, you can look in the show notes. It's like a practical, he was a very practical therapist. It wasn't like, let's talk about your feelings for six years. It was... <sighs> Right. Very like, you I know, feel hungry. Why, yes. Why is your why? No, it was, why is your life not the way you want it to be? And what things can you do to make it mm-hmm. better? 
Mm-hmm. And it wasn't just about the marriage, but it was definitely about, there was definitely a lot of self-exploration. And one of the big things was we all live inside of a story that we tell ourselves about ourselves and about the world. We all exist mm-hmm. within a narrative and learning how to see that narrative and learning how to decide what in that narrative is worth keeping and what not worth keeping was a big change in my life. And then I started that process about 10 years into the marriage. And then wow. I, I, it's so funny when I say it out loud like that, like 10 years is so long. Yeah. <laughs> you know I mean, 10 years, yeah. 20 years is a long time, but in any event, so, I mean, you know, and after about very quickly, very quickly, that therapy made me realize that the marriage was in trouble. And I mean, my ex-wife also knew the marriage was in trouble for her own reasons. And we tried mm-hmm. going to a bunch of different couples therapies and it did not work. The, th- the couples therapy was no good now. I'm very careful to make it, I'm very careful all the time to be very clear that any kind of breakdown in a relationship like this is nobody's single unitary fault. Nobody, it's both of us, it took both of us to mess it up. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But of course. that said, I think the willingness to go to couples therapy and to do the work of couples therapy is an important indicator for the success or failure of couples therapy. And one of my big complaints in, you know, when I get to Shemayim and I talk to God, one of my complaints is going to be that I really feel like my ex-wife was not willing to do the work. Mm-hmm. And because of that, it, it, I mean, the marriage was in a bad place to begin with. And then it was doomed after that. That's what, one of the things I was going to ask, which is like, uh, and I, I've asked it a, b- a bunch in other interviews is like, if you both wanted it to work, I feel like if both really want it to work, I think after that, there's like a 95% success rate. If it's sort of like one wants it to work, one isn't sure, you know, or there's some other factors going on outside, the chances are much, are much less. You, you have to really convince both parts of the marriage, right? Just two parts to it. They both have to want it deeply. Um, well, they, they have to want it, but they have to want it in its new and improved form. I think one of the big problems is that is that the nature of any tension in a relationship is going to come from any tension in especially a marriage relationship is going to come from an evolution of the way that you're dealing with each other. In other words, when you started the marriage, you had a way of interacting, whatever it was. She had a way with you and you had a way with her. That's the way it is. And mm-hmm. that way is not enough. It's not working. So now you're going to change that. You're going to change that mechanism. And you right. both have to be willing to change the mechanism, which means you both have to be willing to say, I need to change. That's why I'm here. Not, I need to change the other person. That's why I'm here. So a big, I think, and I say this right. not specifically to my marriage, not specifically about my ex-wife, but I have seen it with a lot of people that mm-hmm. couples will go to therapy. A lot of my friends who are both married and, and, and not married anymore they go to couple therapy and one or both of the partners will be there so that the other one can learn how to be better. And that is entirely uh-huh. counterproductive and that will never work. Hmm. The, no, you have that, to that sound so in. bad. You, you're, they're there so the other one could learn how to be better. I mean, I'm saying you're, they both have to be working on things, but if you're there to help the other spouse, that could be good as well. Right. I mean, I Sometimes. You, 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 can only, I, you can't go in saying, I'm here so that my ex, well, okay, let's, well, obviously she's not your ex-wife when you go in. So you right. can't go in, you can't go in saying, 
you know, okay. So my ex-wife's name is Rivka. Okay. So mm-hmm. if, if I walked in saying we're here so that Rivka can learn how to be a better wife, then I'm just offloading that responsibility. Well, I have to be there so that I can say, I'm, we're here so that I can learn to be a better husband. And Rivka has to say, I'm here. We're here so that Rivka can learn to be a better wife. But if Rivka says right. we're here so that Ronan can learn to be a better husband, <laughs> that's a problem. That's a problem. And, and yeah, I could, and I I think could see that. Yeah. Yeah. That's... Right. And that's, that's never going to work. It always has to be self-directed. The only person you right. can change, the only person you can ever really change is yourself. And right. that's a rule in life and that's a rule in marriage and that's a rule in everything. The only person you can change is yourself. You have a little bit of a chance with your kids to mechanic them a little bit when they're young. After very soon, very soon, very, very quickly, their friends become more important. And then you're just giving them advice in the hopes that someday in the future, they will hear you. But, right, right. but the only person you can ever really get to change is yourself. Wow. And I think as long as you both go in, as long as in couples therapy, as long as you both go in recognizing that that's the work, then that's the work. And as soon as you go right. in with the opposite idea, then it's not going to, it's not going to go. And very often, you'll, in, fa- in fact, unfortunately, very often um, you'll see one goes in willing to work on themselves and the other goes in also willing to work on that one. Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> No, right. they both agree. I used, to, I used to joke. I have a joke that I used, to, I used to say back when I still gave advice to young couples because I, uh, I don't do that anymore. <laughs> back when I still, you, what, you mean post-divorce, I, you don't do that or I, I, post, I, I, I very quickly learned that I have no advice to give. I am not a smart man, <laughs> but I, but I, well, say I, that, I disagree. Uh, that, that's why I have yeah. you on. Okay. No, I, I appreciate that. I'm, I'm kidding around. But so the, so the joke I used to make is that every husband should always have, a list of 10 things great about his wife and 10 things about himself he has to work on. And the joke I would make is that my wife agreed with me completely. She also had a list of 10 things great about my wife and 10 things her husband has to work on. So, <laughs> right, right. You know, yeah. she also had that list. Yeah. It, it's important to sort of keep it self-directed and it kind of most should be self-directed. Right. Let's just hang on that for a second. So you mentioned, uh, you know, uh, g- giving advice and stuff. But some people, there's going to be people listening to this episode who are in a marriage. Maybe they're like five years in and maybe they're just they're It's just not going well. What what would you say to them? Like, I mean, I'm not putting you in a therapist role, but practical advice, talkless, like, should they get help? Uh, probably. But like, what, what would you say to give them some perspective and some chizuk? Okay, so I will say I will say I can say sort of two or three connected things. You'll, you'll, you'll hear how they're connected in a minute. So the first thing is that it's very, very hard. And I am certainly not going to be the person who tells someone end the marriage. I'm, I'm, unless there's something really, really deeply problematic. And at that point, and we're talking about, you know, abuse or, or, or deep, deep psychological harm or something like that happening. I'm never going to be the guy who says, okay, that marriage is no good. You got to end that. And I think actually that that's a, that's, while that is a good thing, especially for me who doesn't, you know, none of your, I know none of your listeners. I, I certainly don't know. I, I'm definitely not going to be the guy who says, Oh, you're having a hard time. Break it off. You know, there, there's a comedian who I, who I like who says something like that. And it's a, it's, it's a funny joke, but it's not good advice. Um, but it's very hard and it's very hard for any, like any rabbi, any advisor, anyone who's even close to you. That, that's a very drastic thing to say. It's really, it's, it's hard, especially if you have kids or if you've been married for a while, it's a very drastic thing. And people are reluctant to give that advice and rightly so, Sure. you know, that said, 
it is important to know that it is in fact an option. You are not bad for thinking it. You are not, you know, God put, Hashem put the get in the Torah for a reason. And if you look around and you see people are not getting divorced or they are getting divorced, you're comparing yourself to the wrong people and you're thinking the wrong thoughts. You have to look at your marriage and your life and see if it's salvageable. And if it's not, it's worth doing sooner rather than later. And if it comes to kids, I'll say this. My therapist told me, and this was a great piece of advice. He said, the best thing for kids is two happily married parents. But the second best thing for kids is not unhappily married parents. The second best thing for kids is happily divorced parents. And the worst thing for kids is unhappily married parents because they live in, I mean, for the kids, it's Gehenna. It's absolute Gehenna. Mm -hmm. Even if you think they're trying to be, my ex-wife and I, we were very careful. We never, not never, but we tried not to fight or argue or anything in front of the kids. And we kept it really civil and we were not yellers. This is not that kind of a relationship. But once in a while, I'm not saying it was always part, you know, I'm not saying we were, you know, excellent in that regard, but it, nonetheless, we were very careful. That the kids are smart. The kids know. The kids knew all along and the kids felt it and a hundred percent. And I mean, mm -hmm. it hasn't been easy, but the, the kids have thrived in the, in the wake of the divorce. It took them a little bit to get past it, but it has been really good for them compared to how it was when they were married, when we were married, it's been really good for them. Mm -hmm. So the, the, the first, so I, I guess, I guess is, you're, you're in the category of happily divorced and which is better relatively, than, I mean, than unhappily married. Well, yeah. I mean, relatively happily divorced, obviously there's tension and there's, we, we did in fact, I don't want to say fight, but I think fight is the right word about a number of things. And we are still in conflict about a number of things. And, mm -hmm. you know, I, I, she wouldn't throw me a rope if I were drowning and I, I wouldn't throw her rope if she were drowning. <laughs> Maybe don't put that one in. Maybe take that, you know, <laughs> the point is, I mean, happily divorced might not be the right phrase exactly, but we're certainly peaceably divorced. We don't engage in a lot of overt hostility, certainly not in front of the kids. And more importantly, the relationship is such that it's no longer constantly antagonizing us to each other. And that is a tremendous thing. We are both free. And again, turning back to the kids, we are both able to give our attention and love to the kids and also to say with an honest, I mean, I say it to my kids honestly and sincerely, and I'm pretty sure my ex-wife does too. That's, you know, that's your mother. You owe her, keep it out of aim. You, 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 she loves you and she wants to, you know, you need to treat her well. And, you know, you don't have to constantly be in this place of taking sides. We are very careful. And this is, a, this, is a, this is not the advice in response to the question you asked, but we are very careful to never or try to never put the kids in between. Never, ever. It happens once in a while. If it does happen, it happens by accident. The other one will call us mm -hmm. on it. You know, if, if uh, you know, I'll send a little message saying, hey, you know, I didn't like it when you did X, Y, Z. And usually that's enough. That's okay, you know. Mm -hmm. But that's, that's the thing. That, so the that's, point is, that's the know, key. It's just the critical, most absolute important thing. Yeah, I hope everybody it, it, always remembers that. It should, that should just be, if the message comes out of any episode, it's the kids are just totally separate. They have nothing to do with the conflict. They should even know nothing about it. And right. they should just know that they have two parents who love them. And that also, when it comes to them, the two parents could even get along when it comes to the kids. It's just Absolutely. so, uh, it's, it just instills so much confidence and security for a kid. And it's just proven over and over and over again. So thanks for that up as well.
Honestly, um, I mean, it, it, it would be better. It, honest to God, if you, I mean, if you ever think of doing something like that, where you put your kids in between, or you tell your kid, oh, tell your mother this, or, or God forbid, if you sit your kid down and say like, oh, your mother did this, this, and this to me. I mean, it would be better to just hit him in the face. It would be better to just punch him in the face. <laughs> right. Probably, it'd be healthier. It'd be healthier yeah. for the kid if you just did like, <laughs> Right. You're basically doing the same thing because they, they punching them in the face will make them not like you the same way telling them something bad about their mother will, will make true. them not like you. It's just they're going to have the same Ill, Ill will toward you. No, that's, and, actually, that's actually a very good insight. That's a very tremendous insight. The more anybody tries to sort of leverage the kids against the other one, it ends up, it doesn't happen right away, but it ends up, totally backfiring i've never seen i've seen it in in other situations not always not 100 percent, but it's i'd say i'd say 85 90 percent of the time the parent who sits there and tells the kid oh you know your father was xyz abc and then like in a year or two years the kid ends up hanging out with the father much more like that's just what happens because no one wants to be around that no one wants to be around that person who's saying all those negative things that's not yeah it's not how someone wants to live their life yeah, and yeah, definitely. They do, you know, the kids just naturally love their parents and they're not gonna, you know, they're not gonna react well to someone who is constantly pushing them in a way to against that, that parent. So. Right. Right. I think that's a, that's yeah. a, that's a very good insight. I think you, you actually picked up a very oh. good point there, which I, I didn't realize I was oh. making, but you know, I'll take the credit for it. Yeah. Yeah. But no, I'll take the credit. No, I'll take the credit. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You take the credit for it. It's a very good point. I think it's a very good, that's right. a tremendous point. That's true. Right. It never works. It all, it almost always backfires. So, so how, how's your relationship with your kids now in terms of, uh, I guess, custody arrangement? Like, do they come to you? Is, is, is there ever any issues with that? I mean, they're they're not toddlers, so they're like teenagers, right? As you well, mentioned, right. So my oldest is is uh, almost a, like almost a full on adult, and my youngest is in in her early teens. And when we started the divorce process, unfortunately, I will say this, we were married a long time and also the process of getting divorced for us took a long time. There was a lot of, there was, I, I would say it took almost two and a half, three years, probably from start to finish, from filing to actually getting divorced. And there was uh, a lot of like too much interaction. We were in COVID for part of that. I was in lockdown with, I was in lockdown with my fa- like with my family Wow. wow. After we had filed. Like, so that was, Oh, that's a, that's that a whole, a, I, I'd like to talk yeah. about, that's a whole separate topic. Actually. I want to, I'm curious thing. about, wow. That was, in, wow. Crazy Wait, timing. Flag it. It's important to get back to it because not just COVID, but the other thing is important. Uh, like about the whole, about the, about the, the house and moving out, but just to get mm-hmm. back to it for a second. So, so it took us about three years. And when we told the kids, which was one of the worst days ever, Wow. When we told the kids, it's a very hard day. Um, I promised that I would not move anywhere where they could not walk to. So they could visit me any Shabbos they needed to or anything. Specifically, my youngest wanted something like that. And so I, I promised her that. And back then, when we first when we first told the kids, that was actually a pretty tight radius. It was pretty not, there was a lot of places I couldn't go because of the age of my, my child. But, mm-hmm. um, as she got older, by the time we actually got divorced and by the time I actually moved into my own place, that was, I am now living walking distance from my ex-wife, but it's not so close that I'm in her backyard, which is really mm-hmm. good for both of us. The kids are officially 50, 50. Um, you know, it's, we have a, it's not an unusual schedule. It's actually a fairly common schedule called a two, two, five, five. 
which is more complicated than I'm going to explain in this context. But mm-hmm. for anybody who is in that, in that part of the decision-making process, it actually, it sounds really annoying and complicated, but it's not. And there are a number of really good options besides week on, week off. That I'll say. Mm-hmm. I'll say that week on, week off, when I first was getting, when, when we were first getting divorced, I wanted week on, week off. I thought that would be simpler and easier for the kids. And my ex-wife actually insisted on um, this other system, this, this something called 2255, which mm-hmm. is basically, we have every other Shabbos and, and like every other weekend, including Shabbos, and the other days sort of stay the same. Um, mm-hmm. I was reluctant, but it, it was, it turned out to be very good for the kids and it really worked out. It, it's a little bit difficult for the parents. Like there's a little bit of difficulty because you're tied up kind of with week on week off, for instance, you can always just take a week and go somewhere or do something. You know, you have these like lack of responsibility, which is, you know, fun and useful, but with this, you're still tied up to the kids. Nonetheless, right. I think this has been very good for the kids. So why was I talking about that? That's, oh, that's great. Um, so we did, so they're with me half time. It's 50, 50. They end up spending a little bit more time with me. They just end up, you know, they end up coming over or whatever. And I don't I have a problem with that. And, mm-hmm. You know, and I mean, it's, it's walkable. So like if they're, if they're by you an extra night, does she say, Hey, it's my night or is it, is it, is that something that becomes an issue or is it just flexible? So are you... In this, I will say that I have been very lucky that even though there is, I mean, obviously we're not married. So there's a reason you know, even though I'm not the biggest fan of my ex-wife, in this, she has been very reasonable, especially compared to many divorced people I know where mm-hmm. they will, even though we just went through a whole thing about not using the kids as pawns, they will use the nights, the nights on, nights off as a, as a means by which to hurt the other person. And it's difficult. Sure. Yeah. Terrible. At some level, she, I mean, if it became a thing and honestly, mm-hmm. Because the amount of money that's going back and forth between us has to do with child, a lot of it is child support, and a lot of the child support has to do with who gets them for what days, like how many days. So right now the child support is fifty fifty because the custody days are fifty fifty essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, like so, the child support is based on the fifty fifty schedule. If I started turning around and saying, "Oh, I have them more days, and so therefore I need to we need to change that ratio," um, that would be a problem. I think then she would start saying, okay, they can't stay there tonight or whatever it is. But right, right. as long as I don't do that, she's okay with it. That's not right. always the case. Um, and that's not always the case for us. And that's not always the case, certainly for other couples going through divorces. The, you know, the best thing I can tell you is just make it very, be very careful when you make your custody agreement and be very careful to as much as possible um, adhere to the custody agreement. I will say this, when I first, when we first got divorced, it was one night, it's a funny story. There was, there was a night that I was supposed to hand them off. And we had a thing where handing off happened. If it was not on a school day, it happened at like 8 PM or something like that. Yeah. It was like 8 PM on that Sunday that I had to hand them off. And I was mm-hmm. driving. I, I was out of town. I was with them somewhere and I had them and I get in the car and it was raining and uh, I get in the car and I think I, the car didn't get a flat, but something went wrong with the car. And so it's like seven mm-hmm. fifteen or seven twenty. And I'm easily 45 minutes away from where I'm supposed to drop them off. And I'm freaking out because, you know, I know this was back at the beginning when things were still, there was things were still very raw between my ex-wife and I. And I was convinced that if I didn't get them there at eight o'clock, 
you know, the next thing would be a police officer. Mm -hmm. And you know, yeah. I had seen something like that happen, something like that had happened to me. And it was not, it had already happened, you know, between us, there had already been a thing. So I was really, really freaking out and worried. And I was basically, if I happened to fix the tire in enough time to do it, I drove like a maniac to get them where they were going. But I wow. was this close to calling an Uber for them. And um, I would have done it. And that all I'm saying is that was the right choice, especially now things have calmed down a little bit and things are more relaxed in terms of that. Right. But at the very beginning, uh, you know, eight o'clock, if you say you got to, if you say you have to get them there at eight o'clock, then 7.59 and 59 seconds, they better be there. And yeah. That, and that, that's, that's kind of a sad thing about about this whole process i'll just say is that i, I hear that kind of thing i mean i've encountered that myself where you have to sometimes you know you said you drove like a maniac i mean i i mean whatever i mean obviously you're exaggerating a little bit but you have to sort of do things that are you know not optimal for the kids in order to satisfy some arbitrary requirement from if you would have texted her hey i had some car issue i'm 15 minutes late uh at that point in the divorce she might have said well too bad uh eight o'clock is eight exactly. o'clock and 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 it's just so sad that 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 happens that it becomes about these arbitrary points of conflict rather than what's really best for the kids. I hope that people get that and they, they that that's not something that people incorporate into their divorce process. But I mean, it's inevitable. You know, if you're listening to this and you have a relative or someone who's uh, going through divorce, like just these things are so important. We, we got to just be adults, especially when we have kids. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a, that's an incredibly good way to say it. Is you got to be adults. And the, the problem is that the process of the divorce really scrapes away a lot of the adulthood from from both parties. I will say, and I have to be careful here. I think that's more often on the wife's side because I think usually more often. I'm not speaking specifically about my divorce, but with my divorce and those with whom I am familiar or with which I am familiar rather, is that there's a, a function, of, there's a, an anger issue and a control issue. And those mm -hmm. tend to come out in those kinds of moments. So, you know, now I feel comfortable saying I could text and saying, well, actually my ex-wife and I don't text each other. We have a, a special app that we use that was mm -hmm, mandated sure. by the court so that we're, we don't text, we're not allowed to text each other or, um, or call each other. We just use a special app to communicate, which actually mm -hmm. has been really useful for us because the app is, the judge or like the lawyers can get into the app and see what it is. And it doesn't, it, you can't erase anything and it keeps time. It's very interesting. Right. Right. But is it, is it our family wizard? That's the one. Okay. Yeah. Sure. So we use our family. Wizard. So I wouldn't text her. I would send her an our family wizard message. And even now I'll tell you the truth at this point in, at this point in the divorce now, you know, you know, two, two and a half years on, I would send her an our family wizard thing. And I would send her a text saying, Hey, check off W. And that would be it because that's, you know, that's pretty part of, and I don't feel, I don't feel concerned about that, but I would send her, you know, send her a message saying, listen, I got a flat tire. I'll be half an hour late, whatever it is. And I feel comfortable that she would say, okay, or she wouldn't say anything or she would, you know, grumble about it, but she wouldn't do anything. But back mm -hmm. then, like at the beginning, there was sure. much more, much more anger and much more, you know, need to control. Yeah, yeah. And I'm and, not and, and confident. There's uh, there's also just the issue of the you know when it's in court that you know you're five minutes late that could be used against you it, it affects your whole case and there's once you bring that into the picture and everything becomes a source of tension it's it's so it's just so damaging and toxic it's, um, yeah it's, it's very hard and it's, it's it's very hard and it's really it's it's a good piece of advice it's again one of the good pieces of advice that people going through the divorce 
are going to have a hard time hearing, but if anybody is listening to this who is a close loved one or advisor to someone going through the, the divorce, yeah. it's good to sort of say to them in a loving and caring way, take a breath. This yeah. is not actually as good for you or the kids or anybody as you think it is. You know, just take a breath. This is an innocent mistake, which I think you're right. That's, it's a big issue, especially early in the divorce process, where everything is seen as having an effect on how it comes out. Yeah, so that, you're right. So anyway, so the point is, so that, I mean, it's a funny story because I was freaking out and I was in the rain trying to fix a car and I'm not really a car fixing kind of guy. Right, um, right. It's, but, it's amazing what people can do with adrenaline and pressure. Exactly. Yeah. And YouTube. I also, I YouTube it. I YouTube <laughs> right. fix it. You know, in the rain on the side of the road with YouTube going, wow. do this, do that, screw that. So. Have you, have you done any uh, mechanics since then? Or was that, yeah, was that right. it for your career? No. <laughs> no. Um, ah. That's really I don't have a guy on that. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, we, we started, we can't just do the kids. Um, I forgot. Oh, the person going through our time is just to get really quick. Part one is no one's going to tell you to get divorced because everyone's afraid to, they're right to be afraid to, because it's, it's really drastic. At the same time, you need to make a, a fair analysis of your situation and if it's fixable and if it's salvageable and if Let, it's let's not, just, let's, let's spend our last, our last couple, uh, if we could just spend our last couple minutes uh, of this episode on when you say, see if it's salvageable, what, what's your perspective about that? What does it mean salvageable? Like if you look back at your case, w- w- was it salvageable? Did, did you make a good decision or do you feel like, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a hard thing to put on you to say like uh, to, to go back I'll, to that, but um, no, it's not. It's the easy it's, thing to say. I'm oh, really okay. happy. I'm, I'm super happy. I'm very divorced. Ours was not salvageable. Oh, no, no. I'm saying at the 10 year mark, you're saying when when you looked at it and you, you, I guess you concluded that it is salvageable because you stayed for 10 more years, right? Did you think at that time? I I did, but it was a bad decision. It was a bad decision. I I, I don't know how to make it a better decision. I don't know how I could have made it a better decision, but it's, it was, it was a bad decision. I, looking back, the problems that exist in the marriage existed from, you know, the second month. And, certain things that were done were done early on and mm-hmm. really an honest assessment would be that they were not salvageable. And the fact that I thought it was the fact that I fought so hard for it to be salvageable is more a function of me. And the fact that I really, I believed that this was the most important job I could do. And the most important job I could do would be to maintain the marriage and, you know, try to build this world that I had seen, I had seen other people doing. And it's very, very, you know, it's, it's impossible to, it's really, someone compared it once to amputating a limb and it's, it's exactly, yeah. I think it's a good analogy. Mm-hmm. You know, wow. if there's a limb that's sick and you, it's the worst thing in the world to amputate a limb, except, except keeping a limb that should be amputated. But, you know, the, the, mm-hmm. the only thing worse than amputating something is keeping it on there to let it poison the rest of your body and kill you. So right. it, it's very hard. It's a very difficult thing. It's, it's hard on your self-image. You definitely go through what is essentially a mourning process and you have to change everything that you, not everything, but you change a lot of what you thought about yourself and how you envisioned your life being. You know, I, I did not imagine yeah. when I, especially when I got from, but certainly even before I got from, but certainly when I got from, I did not imagine like, oh, you know, what it'll be in 20 years, in 20, 30 years, I'll be, you know, divorced and living in an apartment and, you're figuring out how to feed my kids because I'm really not, I'm a good cook, but I, uh, you know, I, I also <laughs> right. tend to order out a lot. Let's just put it that way. Um, you know, like, this was not, right. this was not my, 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 my vision. 
Right. Uh, it's an impossible, impossible decision. The only, the only thing I would say is whatever decision you make, don't beat yourself up too much. If it turns out it was the wrong decision, either way, mm-hmm. It, mm-hmm. you'll never know if you decide to get divorced and really you could have saved it. You'll never know. And if right, you decide right. you think you can save it. And then a year later you decide, no, we can't save it. And then you look back and say, Oh, I should have known a year ago. Don't kick yourself. There's no way to, you, you do your best. You make your best decision with what you have in front of you get good advice from people who love you. But at the same time, at the same time, recognize that no one knows what's going on inside your house. No one doesn't matter how much you tell them. No one knows. And and that's actually important to also, when you look and when you look and see, when you look and see happily married families or whatever, you don't know, you don't know. I definitely, I often tell, I'm going to tell the short version because I know it's going long, but I tell a story where about a month after my ex-wife filed for divorce um, and about a month after she filed, but before I had told anybody, I, I was sitting in a, like a conference in a meeting with some people and a younger person came up to me and started talking to me and asking me advice and this and that. And he says to me, he says, you know, you're a guy, you have really got it together. Like you've got a beautiful wife and a wonderful, happy marriage and a good family and you're, you know, your Parnassus is excellent and you're learning a lot and all of these things that he was saying. And each one of them, every one of them was like, no, it's not true. No, it's not true. No, it's not true. And I didn't know how to tell him, like, you're asking the wrong guy for advice. None of the things you said are true. Like, no, you know, like the, 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 the marriage is definitely not happy. The family is on the rocks. The kids are having trouble. You know, the, the Parnassa wow. is struggling. The learning is struggling. Everything. Well, that's a, that's a side thing. I definitely right. talked about that offline too. When the marriage right. is bad, everything suffers. Everything right, suffers. Right. Learning Parnassa, everything suffers. It's the most, it is in a, in a very important, wow. it's the engine of your heart and it, yeah, everything else suffers, sure. you know, on a sort of Kabbalistic halachic way where the, the bracha in the house comes from the wife and all that. Stuff. And also just on a practical way, just it's, you know, Parnassa is a war and you're exhausted. And if you come home to another war, you just don't have the koach. You just mm. don't have the energy and learning. Absolutely. It's not a war, but learning is a, learning is a, is a struggle and it's effort. And if you come home and there's another war there or not even another war, but just no, no positivity there, then you don't have yeah, to yeah. or, or if I would say if you, if you walk out of a home and to, to the, to the base medrash and you just left a war, you just don't have that, yeah. that peace of mind, that, that mental calmness, stability to, to go tackle some difficult problems. It's, it's, it's yeah. definitely true. I, I, I can relate. So you know, this, this guy sits down next to me and he tells me, he, he imagines my life to be so right. awesome. And I, I wow. didn't know how to break a toilet. I didn't know how to break it to him. Like, you know, that's, every, that's, every one of those things you wow. put is wrong. <laughs> right. And the only thing worth it from that story, the most important part of that story is if you are looking at someone right now, if you're, if you're in a bad marriage and you're looking at, you know, your friend or your Carusa and you say to yourself, Oh, he's got it. He's got it all together. He's a hundred percent. You know, you don't know. Right. Maybe he does. I hope he does. Please God. He does. Yeah. But it's not entirely impossible that he doesn't. And you shouldn't. And unfortunately we live in a world where, you know, people are embarrassed or people are ashamed and especially men, I will say this to the men more than anything. Men need to talk to each other. Men need to sit down and make time to just talk to each other. And the way of it real, is real, that real it's talk. not going to be real yeah. talk, but it's not going to, if you're not going to be able to make time like, okay, six o'clock on Thursday, I'll see you for real talk. 
The way it works is you have to spend time with someone and talk about stupidity. And then at a certain point, one of you will kind of sideways say like, oh, by the way, I'm, you know, ha ha ha, I'm having a fight with my wife. And, you know, just let that person talk. And it's true of all, it's true of men and women, but it's especially true of men that you need to really, you you feel alone. You feel alone. The worst part of it is you feel alone. You're going through it and you feel alone. And uh, actually this brings us full circle because this ties into what I said at the very beginning, which is. I think you get a big ishkach because anything that can be done to make the people going through this to not feel alone is a tremendous, tremendous service to the, to the people. And yeah, you, you did a way, great job bringing this. You did such a great job bringing this back around. That's exactly yeah. why, why this podcast exists. It's a small little project, just schmoozing with people that I love to schmooze with anyways, but in the process, just bringing it out and just letting other people listen in and pick, pick up, something interesting and yeah people i mean i'm also aiming for guys who are not married yet or you know dating or even before that just these are just things that we really all should be aware of we we just don't have anything like this out there that's accessible where you know you can just learn from real people who've been through just life these are not extraordinary stories that are you know going to be in uh, maggot speaks or something these are just people who've gone through life gone through uh, difficult times and uh, and have a lot to share and you, yeah. think you shared so many interesting things in in uh, in the time we spoke, and I hope we'll speak again because there's a lot of topics actually that we, we just can't cover in in even in one or two hours. Like we'll have to meet up again. Absolutely, uh, I'm totally amenable to that. That's a great idea. As I'm talking to you, I'm thinking like, oh, I wanted to say that. No, oh, I want to say that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think I wanted to ask you too. So we'll uh, okay. we'll we'll do this again. We'll do this again in uh, a bunch of episodes from now. And. Ronan, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for coming on the Let's Get Serious podcast. I really appreciate it. And I think people are going to find a lot of value in our conversation. Very much. Thank you so much. And I, I, I hope so. And, you know, keep doing what you're doing. All right. Good work. Be well. All right. You too. Thank you for listening to the Let's Get Serious podcast. Please like, subscribe, and share this podcast with your friends and family. Help us reach more men in our community and help them navigate their relationships and build the best lives for themselves and their loved ones.